The title tonight is Overcoming Temptation. We're going to read Scripture now. There's two times I'm going to ask you if you want to read along with me in Scripture. The first is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And then the second set of Scriptures that I'll have you turn to, because it's quite a bit of reading, and I think you might want to glimpse a little bit of your own word as I talk about it, is in Hebrews 11, and it's verses 1 through 40. And don't worry, I'm not going to read all 40 verses, okay? So let's go to, let's go to Matthew now. And uh, this is the text for tonight. This is the main crux of the message tonight. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said these words. He said, On the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan. In other words, be gone. For it is written... You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. What a precious, beautiful ending to Scripture. Other accounts of Jesus being tempted in these same situations are in Mark 1, 12, and 13, and Luke 4, 1 through 13. If you want to read those accounts, they're very similar, just a little added twist. Interesting point. Jesus did not run. He did not hide. He did not cave in to what was thrown at him. How easy is it to crumble when you're hungry? Side note on hunger. I can talk to you for days about that, but when you're hungry, you might show signs of being dizzy, being nauseous, signs of sickness, weakness, anxiety, a host of other side effects. My wife just says plum grumpy. That's what me, I am. She said I shouldn't have a serious conversation when I'm hungry, and that's true. The longest I can ever recall going without food is probably several days. Usually, when I've been sick, 
I don't know if anybody else can relate to that, but when you're sick, food's not the most pleasant thing to think about. In fact, sometimes it even makes you want to, excuse me. <laughs> Jesus did it for 40 days. Now, this is not the first time that's happened. That sounds literally impossible. We read from Scripture that Moses was without food or drink on Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. Deuteronomy 9.9 says this, When I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant of the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water. And Elijah also fasted that long. 1 Kings 19.8 says this, So he got up and he ate and drank. Straightened by that, or excuse me, straightened here because he would straighten him up. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. John Rittenbaugh has this to say about fasting. I just think it's very interesting. Only when you do not or we do not think so much of ourselves, feel helpless, weak, and backed into a corner, will we listen with the intensity required to truly believe, repent, submit, and become at one. So often God has to resort to stern measures before we will show our, allow our minds to change. He would rather have us submit willingly and change ourselves without screaming and clawing and all that other good stuff, right? Thus, in his wisdom, he has ordained fasting as a part of atonement because it, it, it induces a weakness we can physically feel, not just intellectually agree with. Fasting is a self-imposed trial that should help us both know and feel what we are in comparison to God. Its purpose is not to impress God with how disciplined we are, though it is a good exercise in discipline, but it is to remind us how much we need the things He so free, freely gives and generously supplies. I got a lot of going on up here. God has life inherent. God has life inherent. Praise God that he has you where he wants you. To depend on him when you're hungry, when you're spiritually war slick, as my dad would say, lean into him so he can put a new pop, a may pop on your tire that's fixing to pop at any moment. That casein is what he used to call them, needs to be changed often. Oil in your car needs to be changed often. Analogies go on and on. But when you're hungry, you need to be fed. He's the only one that can feed you, that gives you inherent life. Whoa! Sorry. He is self-sustaining. But when we, even for a relatively short time, are denied the food he supplies, what happens? Our weaknesses and dependence quickly become apparent. All of our faults start coming out of us. We get anxious. We get 
Grumpy is the best word to describe me when I get hungry. Our weaknesses and dependence quickly become apparent. Food gives us physical strength and satisfaction. If we deny the body the food it needs, we become weak. And what happens next? We die. I would rather die full of God's food. And it doesn't cost anything, guys. On the Day of Atonement, God commands us to affect ourselves. Fasting is the external means God gives to assist us in this. It inflicts upon us a small amount of discomfort, which is a good indicator of God's mercy. He could have commanded us to do something very painful, requiring a great deal of endurance and discipline. He has every right to do so. But instead, he chose something that also shows us how we need what he so generously supplies, such as food and water. Without what he supplies spiritually, we would not last long in that realm. Yom Kemper, you've heard the word, also known as the Day of Atonement, is the holiest day of the year in Judaism. Its central themes are atonement and repentance. Jewish people traditionally observe this holy day with an approximately 25-hour fast and intensive prayer, often spending most of their day in synagogue services. You heard that, Pastor Michael. you got 25 hours. You can hold them here. Ow! Can you imagine 25 hours straight of worshiping intensely with prayer and fasting and in a church service? We shouldn't get too upset when Pastor Bro, that's him, Pastor Bro, when he goes overtime with his sermon occasionally. You know, it's, it's really important when you're in the house of the Lord, just soak it in. Just relish in the moment. You can never give back enough time to him. You can be selfish and get all the time you want out in the world, but you can never give this time back to him. Relish it, relish it, relish it. We can't expect to fast any length of time unless we are dialed in, I love that word, dialed in to a close connection with our Savior so he can minister to us the whole way through. Enough said on fasting. Pastor said I could do a little bit on fasting. I probably went way over, but I'm up here tonight. The Hebrew word nisa, nisa, rendered tenth, literally means to try, to prove, to put to the test. As the Greek word pirazo sometimes means. James, in chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, most of the scripture I'm reading from is NASB, just to let you know. Sorry about it, I didn't tell you that early. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting us or tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Listen to this part. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to 
sin. And sin, when it is full grown, I don't want it to be full grown to me, how about you? That gives birth to death. Whew. Genesis 22.1 says this. You may think it's a contradiction, but it's not. Listen. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. You think that contradicts James? Listen to this. The Geneva Bible seems to more accurately render this scripture as God did prove Abraham. So instead of tempting Abraham, he proved him. What does that mean? So God tempts only in the sense of proving somebody to create confidence in the Lord and in himself and to give him experience. We all need experience. Then the word experience is the noun from which the word parazzo is derived. In each instance, when the term or ver- when the verb is used, we must distinguish who the one who is tempting us is, and then we shall understand whether the meaning is to endeavor to lead a person to fall, which is what Satan always tries to do, but where God, who never tricks or deceives us or causes us to fall, but rather tests us to prove our progress. Isn't that that a beautiful picture of what God does? He says, okay, I'll put you out on the string a little bit. I'll let you go for a little bit further on your rope. If you get out of line, I'm going to pull you back. It may be kind of rough. You might skin your knees up, but I'm going to get you back in my grasp so I control your destiny because I need to get your knees scratched a little bit sometimes so you know who can fix those knees. I hope the, the, the camera's not picking all the spit up. It would be like. <laughs> Jesus was tempted three times in the scripture I just read. Three times, guys. Now, listen to this comparison. I love what Greg Glory says. He says, Satan will tempt you to destroy your faith. God will test you to develop your faith. I want to say that again. I want to make sure you click it in your noggin. Greg Laurie said that Satan will tempt you to destroy your faith. God will test you to develop your faith. Jesus has been fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's hungry physically and spiritually. It just blows my mind to think what shape he was in. In fact, he was possibly so starting to feel the temptation hooks sink into him. Number one, in the first temptation, that's Matthew 4, 1 through 4, the devil tried to trick Jesus into taking the bait. If you are the Son of God, if you are, like, huh? If you are the Son of God, and since you have food at your spoken request, or you can have food at your spoken request, then tell these stones to become bread. Jesus reminds Satan that in due time, the Father will provide for him. Now, I don't know about you. This is when I'm thinking I'd probably be getting a little bit upset with Satan if I was God. I'd probably be a little grumpy. But if they are directed 
Okay, I'm sorry. Jesus reminds Satan in due time, Father's going to take care of him. It is not the right time to be concerned that, about that. His own physical needs yet. Obeying, this is the key. Obeying and following the Father's instructions are the most important. A, subtitle after one. What does it take to better serve the Savior? What does it take? I think we can all know what that is. We just got through reading it. A holy character does not avert or turn away temptation, but if they are directed and led by the Holy Spirit, they can. Chuck Smith reminds us to not act outside the will of God or abuse the power of God. What is the antidote that is available to every believer when temptation raises its ugly head? The Word of God. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this, He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Our escape is to rightly handle the Word of God. So if we handle the Word of God correctly, guess what? And we soak it in, and it goes into this thing up here called our noggin, and it permeates, and it oozes out in every corner, and I think you're going to be okay. Will it be tough? Yeah. Will he try to go after you more? Yeah, because you're a child of God. Whew. Number two, verses 4, 5 through 7. The devil took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple. Anybody do any research on the pinnacle? Listen to this, what it says about the pinnacle. <clears throat> Scripture experts say that this about the pinnacle. It is the top of the building. Honestly, we don't know how high. However, there are a couple places that are generally considered when trying to answer this question. The most accepted location is the southeastern corner of the Temple Mount. Pastor Michael has been there. He's been to Israel. This uh, would have been where the royal portico and Solomon's porch met overlooking the Kidron Valley. Kidron Valley was down below, correct? Down below the, the temple. Uh, at the time of Jesus, the height from the location of the Kidron Valley would have been somewhere between 450, maybe 600 feet. It, it was a long ways up there, guys. It's not where you just going to fall off your eight-foot ladder, Duffy. And, and, you know. It was high, and it would have hurt, and you'd got more disciples in your head. Of course, the top of the walls have been destroyed and rebuilt since then, so it's hard to know exactly how high it would have been. Either way, it would have been a very long fall into the Kidron Valley. Easton's Bible Dictionary gives the information about the temple uh, or about the pinnacle. The Greek word ought to be rendered not a pinnacle, but the pinnacle. The only part of the temple which answered to the modern sense of pinnacle was the golden spikes erected on the roof to prevent birds like pigeons on your roof at home from settling there. I don't know about you, if you ever had a pigeon problem, it's not a fun thing. I don't know if that's what their intention was, but 
They probably didn't want, never mind. Perhaps the word means the battlement ordered by law to be added to every roof. According to Offord, it was the roof of Herod's royal portico of the temple, which overhung the ravine of Kidron from a dizzy height, and it even says six to 700 feet high. Again, he reminds Jesus that if he is the Son of God, then prove it. Come on, Satan. Throw yourself off of here and let God come to the rescue. Satan now uses Scripture against God as he quotes Psalm 91, 11, and 12. He will command his angels to protect you wherever you go. Their hands will catch you so that you will hit your foot. You will not hit your foot on a rock. Satan will try whatever tactics he can. So you can have all the scripture you want, but it may be Satan comes at you with scripture also. We've got to be so in tune with scripture, guys, that we know where his heart is, which his heart is always going to be in the toilet to try to destroy your testimony. I wasn't pointing at any particular one. I just was. (laughs) In the first temptation, Jesus quoted scripture to help himself resist the temptation. Now Satan tries to use whatever weakness he may have to slide in the door to destroy God's testimony. It is important to be ready at all times and for you to have scripture that will help you overcome what temptation Satan throws at you. Satan responds by simply telling Satan, or excuse me, Jesus responds by simply telling Satan that he is not to put God to the test. Thirdly, this is verses 8 through 11. Satan takes Jesus up on a very high mountain to show him the kingdoms of the world. This cracks me up. He tells Jesus that if he will bow down and worship him and him alone, he'll give it to him. What? The creator of the, of the universe. Oh, yeah, I'm going to give you what you already own anyway. Jesus reminds Satan that those kingdoms are not his to give. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.14. You must not follow other gods. You must follow the gods of the people who live around you. Deuteronomy 10.20 says this, You must respect the Lord your God and worship only Him. Never leave Him. When you make promises, you must use His name only. That's strong, guys. After the third temptation, Satan left. Sissy. Oh, excuse me. I, <laughs> wimpy. At that moment, angels came down and they ministered to Jesus. What a beautiful picture, guys. wish we had a picture of Angels coming down and ministering to him, but we don't. Angels came to serve Jesus. That affirms his superior status. If Jesus had worshipped Satan in order to gain worldly power, it would have indicated that he valued, listen to this, he would have valued creation more than the creator. He would have valued... Mm. The creator of the kingdoms of the earth more than the kingdom of God. So what does all this mean? What are we, where do we go with this when we get tempted, when we do this? So I've got eight points here, and I'm going fast. How many minutes I got left? I got 21 left. Cool. <laughs> Solutions for overcoming temptation. Straight from his word. Number one, if you want to take notes now, this would be a good time to do it. Number one, dedicated service. 
Set your mind on the things above, not the things on the earth. Renew your mind. Okay? The scripture for that, if you want to write this down, is Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, brother, sister, mother, father, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Number two, and do not be conformed in this world or to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I just love to keep on those adjectives that keep on going on Scripture, right? It just hones you into what that Scripture is and that it applies to you. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. I don't know about you, but Paul fires me up. Therefore, this is verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Number two solution for temptations. Fill your mind with Scripture and keep the Word of God in the forefront of your mind. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Psalm 18, 21 through 23. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his ordinances were before me and I did not put them away. His statutes from me. I also I was also blameless with him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. My iniquity. I pull iniquity in. I'm the one who invites that in. He doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to just lean on him. Lean into him. Ask the Holy Spirit to remove it. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? Question mark. By keeping it according to your word. Verse 10. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. God delivered David because of his righteousness. Think about that, guys. He did a lot of crazy stuff in his life. But ultimately, his heart was righteous. Number two, the psalmist treasured God's word in his heart. So in the second psalm, he treasured it. Treasure it in your heart. Make sure it's a priority to soak in the word, to eat the word up. Number three, dwell on the things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute. Excellent and praiseworthy. Philippians 4.8. Mm. Finally, brethren, 
whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellent excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on those things. Ponder, gaze, take time to stop what you're doing and ask the Lord to take over your mind and your heart and watch what happens. Wish everybody could have been in the prayer tonight in that room. The Spirit mm, was present. Not saying the Spirit isn't always present, but the Spirit was moving. 1 Peter 1 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober and sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to the to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Number five, replace a neck. Did I say number four? Number four is fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look forward to God's reward. If you are, mm, if you are in tune with God, you are going to be rewarded. It may not be when you think you're going to get a reward, but at some point, God is going to bless your socks off. It may be in your last breath, but just think about your last breath as the last breath of the first breath of the best thing that ever happened to you. Woo! That was hard to get out without stopping. So that was number four. Number five is replace a negative fearful attitude with trusting faith and boldness. Mark 11, 22-24. Listen to this. Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, brothers, sisters, it's going to happen. It may not be exactly like you think it's going to happen. It's going to happen better. Therefore, I say to you, this is verse 24 of that Mark 11, 22-24. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Don't abuse that verse. Soak it in. Contemplate on it. Let it twirl around up here a while. And then let it settle in here. Number six, he believes his word and promises to be true. What is the definition of faith? Now I want you all, if you would like to gather with me in your Bible, turn to Hebrews 11, 1 through 40, and I'm going to rapid fire the faith story. Everybody need a little extra faith? Everybody have faith tonight? Can you testify it for me, please? Can you testify it? Say, praise God. So if you're in Hebrews 11, we're going to hit it real quick. In verse 1, we get a definition of what faith is all about. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Hold on to that scripture because that was a good one for you. That's a good one for all of us to remember. Skip down to verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, though through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. 
Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death. In verse 7, by faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You want to tell you something about faith? Listen to this, guys. It took him 100 years to build the ark. 100 years. In this room, I'm not sure anybody will make it that far. He worked on the ark that long. Is that not faith? Mm. Number 8, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going, trusting that God would show him the way. In verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive. A lady who has dried up gave birth. She had faith. She had faith. Go down to verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. To believe in something so strongly that you never see the reward, but you do it because you're supposed to do it, not because you're going to get rewarded for something that you think you should get rewarded for, but just doing it anyway, and God's going to bless you. He's going to bless your socks off. He's going to bless the people who came after you because they're going to know who led led them to the promised land. Sorry, I got excited. Was I in verse 13, Hunter, or was I in verse 13? Yeah. So, 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. I give my only son. I'm going to put him on the chopping block, and I'm going to cut him apart if I have to. God said, you're so faithful, you don't have to do that. Verse 23, I could read this faith thing all day long. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't care if he got thrown in the lion's den. He didn't care if he got put in the hot furnace. That's not the guy that did those things, but I'm just saying, it didn't matter. He wasn't going to let Pharaoh dictate who he was. Right? Driving David nuts, going around here back and forth like this. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. You do what God tells you to do. You circle the camp for seven days. You do it. You just do it. It doesn't make any sense. Just do it. And guess what will happen? You'll dig in. You'll be obedient. You'll be what he wants you to be. When you go to Texas, when you go all over the way, all over the country and you have to leave your wife, but you're faithful and you come back and you come back to Martha and, 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 and God is so faithful in taking care of Kirk. But he's doing it because he knows there's a better cause. Verse 40, 
since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Listen to this, guys. Stay faithful with the little, and he will help you be faithful with the whole shebang. Number seven. I got nine minutes. I got to go. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Pray without ceasing. If someone comes by you and they need prayer, and they say it, Duffy. Yeah. When they need prayer, don't say, I'll pray for you, and then go home. Stop what you're doing. Pray right then. Pray right then because that might be the prayer that gets them over the hump back toward Jesus. That might be the prayer that might rekindle their soul. It might be the one that gives them hope again. We don't save people, guys, but we can help rekindle hope, joy, peace, all the attributes that he's bestowed down to us. We should not feel like we want to hold on to those. We should give them out frequently and with our whole heart. Every time we see somebody, we should say, how you doing? And not just say it because we have to say it. We should say it because we mean it, because we love that person, because we want to get to know them better, because I spend time at RFKC with Peggy, with Deborah, with everybody that was there for children who don't have hope at all, who are misfits. They are thrown into the world. They've been through multiple home after home after home, and they have no place to go, but they get thrown into another home. The same problems they had before just go forward. Don't we have it great, guys, in a home that's loving and kind and gentle and peaceful? And Can't we reach out to people that are misfits and tell them how much we love them? Because guess what? He instructed us to love them. If we cannot love them, he can't love me. About there. Verse, uh, number eight. I think I got number seven. Pretty well accomplished, didn't I? Number eight, seek God with how much of your heart? I want everybody to say, all your heart. Yes, I feel good. Present your members to him as instruments of righteousness. Psalm 63, one, it's a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness, similar to when God was in the wilderness. David was being run after chased after, threatened with his life, had opportunity after opportunity where God took care of him. In 63.1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Down to 119, 2 through 3. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, his statutes in the NIV, who seek him with all their heart, who also do no unrighteousness. Zero. Wrong. That's just wrong. That's enough for that. I'm going to conclude now. I'm doing well, I think. In conclusion, I would like to ask you a couple of what I call 
those tugging questions that you need to consider tonight. What is the antidote for temptation? We just said a while ago. Everybody say it. What is it? The Word. It's Holy Word. Chuck Smith said, rightly handle the Word of God. Let's rightly handle it, guys. Let's learn it so well that Satan can't tempt us. He can't, he can't mess us up with our thinking. He can't make us doubt what we already know is a promise. Right? All right, listen, second. Second question. How much time are you... Uh-oh, this might hurt. How much time are you spending in the Word daily? Hmm. You may re- respond by telling me this right here. It's what you're going to tell me. You may respond by saying that you don't have enough time to regularly pray or regularly be in the Word. Let me just make a suggestion to you. Commit to this. Getting up earlier 10 minutes. If you can commit the next week to just getting up 10 minutes earlier, read one psalm, one proverb. That's the first thing I would tell you. Start small, and before you know it, your heart will crave for more. I can testify to that. If we know what the solution is to our sin problem of temptation, we need to stick to the prescription that the doctor has prescribed. Only then will he help us, each of us, with our schedules so that we can make time for him. If anyone is here tonight, anyone, I don't want you to leave here, I don't want you to leave here burdened with the weight that temptation has caused. It may not even be temptation. It could be something else. But would you please not leave that way? Jesus is ready to relieve you of that weight and give you freedom to worship him. If you just simply need prayer, please come down front when this time is over. Please come to the front and get right tonight so you can leave and be able to know without a doubt that restoration is yours for the taking. Know that he loves you, and so do I. I have one thing else to say. In 2014, excuse me, 2004, Deborah and I moved here. I still carry a card in my Bible that my pastor gave me. His name is Michael Lance. This card is as precious to me as a million dollars. I want to read you what it says, and I'm not going to cry. Dear Paul and Deborah, it's been so great getting to know you both. We are glad you've come to worship and fellowship with us. May God bless you, Pastor Michael. Romans 1.16. You know that off the top of your head, bro? Say it out loud. If a, if a pastor can love somebody he doesn't even know that he spent endless hours with in helping this boy overcome temptation after temptation and still not lose his patience, his kindness, his love, I can just go all through the attributes of God that he's bestowed on me and my wife. And he's called us to a higher calling. 
Not him. Him. He's used him. He's using him. He's using each one of you if you will commit. Submit. And I say to you tonight, I love each and every one of you. And it's been a real honor and privilege explaining that tonight as best I could. And I hope you're blessed in Jesus' name. Can we pray? Father God, I just come before you. I don't even know how to explain what's just happened. I'm not sure I'm even in this place. But I know some person is by the name of Paul Hicks. And I want to thank you that I had this opportunity to come and share the word tonight, share testimony, share what you're doing in my life. And I just pray, Father, that people will not feel lost to the point where there is no return. There is always return with you, Father. You have a big, big plan for everybody in this room. And if they don't know it yet, Father, please reveal it to them. Please help them to lean into you. Help them to leave this place tonight free as a bird to honor and worship you from this point going forward. And we're just going to say thank you for all that you're doing in this fellowship, in this home, in this house of God. We're going to say thank you. And I pray that the people who are here tonight, they come again and they just get strong in the word, strong in prayer, and they, they magnify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. All of God's children said amen.